Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, brought to you by the American Beverage Association. Today's Friday, the 13th of November. The Dow is up, oil prices are down, and we're focused on America's election infrastructure. It's been about a week and a half since Election Day, with the vast majority of votes having been counted. Some are even being recounted, both by machine and by hand. And election experts say the top takeaway so far is that the system, by and large, worked. Now, that's no small feat. Remember, there aren't really any national elections. Instead, we utilize this massive maze of local and state organizations, each using their own bespoke combination of paper, machines, and software. Oh, and that giant pop-up is staffed primarily by volunteers. And again, it all seemed to work. Yes, President Trump is claiming the election was rigged, but so far he's yet to come up with anything to back that up. For example, Trump and some of his acolytes have seized on alleged vote changing by technology from Denver-based Dominion voting systems. But that so-called vote changing was isolated to just one county in Michigan and one county in Georgia. In Michigan, the real problem was human error, where election workers calibrated the vote counting machine and software using the wrong ballot form. The mistake got caught via a standard set of checks. In Georgia, the issue was that Dominion software delayed the official reporting of results from one county, but it didn't change the actual votes. Other counties, included in Trump's conspiracy theory, use software from different vendors. The bottom line is that big parts of our democracy might be breaking or are even broken, but the tech doesn't seem to be part of it. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with election expert and University of Maryland professor, Mike Hanmer. But first, this. We're joined now by Professor Mike Hanmer, research director for the Center for Democracy and Civic Engagement at the University of Maryland. So Mike, let's start here. One of the overall features of federal elections in the U.S. is that it's really a giant series of small local elections, at least in terms of who's running them and the processes, et cetera. Is that also true in terms of the voting technology and software, or are there kind of a few major players that dominate the sphere? So it's absolutely a decentralized system. The states are really running these separate elections, like you said. And the states are making decisions about what sorts of technologies to use, what software. And, and sometimes those decisions go down to the county level as well. So, you know, there really aren't that many major players in terms of the service providers, but it is really up to the states and localities to make those decisions. Dominion, which is the one that's getting all the attention right now, how big a player are they? And can you help listeners understand what exactly does their technology do, practically speaking? All the players in this space really, you know, had to to come out of that 2000 election disaster. And we learned a lot from that in terms of the basic political science research, in terms of the computer science research and the engineering. So everybody that's currently in the space now, I think, has a good deal of influence. And there's all sorts of technologies that are being used right now in terms of checking voters in recording votes, counting them. And so each system is going to be a little bit different with regard to that. As you say, there's checking people in, there's kind of sometimes scanning or recording the votes. There's also the communicating that information, you know, either to the county level or to the state level after that. Is it simply a question of scale? The reason that we no longer just have paper ballots, check them off and have a human being see who they voted for? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the volume of ballots that have to be processed make hand counting impractical these days. And we also know from research that people like and expect technological solutions when they can be convinced that they're safe and secure. Younger people, for example, wonder, why aren't we using our phones and things like that? You know, the computer science is not anywhere close to suggesting that sort of thing, but people start often with that expectation that technology should be a solution. We use technology in so many other ways. They wonder, why not voting? And it's a reasonable question, but once you dig into it, I think the answers are are pretty straightforward. The ballot you might have seen in Maryland compared to the ballot I saw here in Massachusetts might look different, even if some of the candidates on the federal level for president were the same. Is there either be an organization or something else that's considered best practices for how to design ballots and for even kind of what types of technology to use, not necessarily the particular vendor, but at least the types of things that are required? Yeah, a lot of progress was made on that after the 2000 election. And the National Institute for Standards and Technology, NIST, did a lot of work there are other organizations that are out there that specialize in design and understanding how people interact with various interfaces, whether they're electronic or paper. And so I think election officials really do now have a lot of resources available for them to examine what works best. And you know, the research community has done a lot more work in the last 20 years than we probably did in the, in the previous 100 or so on some very, very basic issues relating to ballot design and the technology we use to vote. I know we're only a week or so past Election Day. Given what you know occurred nationally so far, are there any lessons learned from this election that could produce substantive change or reform? Or did this thing go actually fairly well? I think it went extraordinarily well. There's still a lot of ballots out there still being counted and and re-examined, but The potential for disaster, I think, was high given the shift to mail ballots. Not that there's anything wrong with mail ballots. They're safe. They're secure. We have a lot of experience. But any sort of change from the individual voter's perspective can lead to problems. And then just the sheer volume put a lot more stress on our election officials, especially those in states that couldn't process, let alone count the ballots until Election Day. You've studied election technology and processes for years. What are some of the most persistent false claims that seem to really get voters riled up that you think should be debunked kind of for good? So I think one of the biggest things to come out of this election, I really do think it was unique to this election, but I think it's going to persist, is that there's something wrong with voting by mail, that it's less secure than other ways of voting. I think that's something that really came out of partisan rhetoric and not based in evidence. The biggest thing to know, I think, in terms of people's safety and concern is our elections really are run at the local level. And we see from survey after survey, people tend to have a high level of trust in their local election officials. And I think those election officials do a lot of work to earn that trust. Given where we are now, are there weaknesses in the system that, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, you would fix? And if so, what are they? This is a little bit outside of my expertise in terms of the security side, but whenever we're dealing with electronic transmission of information, we have to be careful about access from hackers. And and so the more security we can have along those lines, I think the better. And so I think we're constantly improving, but 
the people that are trying to cause harm are constantly trying to stay ahead of that. And so I think staying vigilant on that is one of the best things to do. And again, I think one of the, the most useful things to come out of recent research and practice is making sure that we have backup systems. So having paper backup is something that gives us a lot more confidence and it also gives us a lot more flexibility if systems break down and we need to do recounts, for example. You know, the two things you just talked about, kind of having the paper trail and also access questions on the electronic side are two of the reasons I assume you think that we are not around the corner from being able to vote with our phones, even though we can do so many other things with our phones. Do you believe we will get to a point kind of within our lifetimes or say within the next couple of decades where we will be able to vote electronically just from the, the comfort of our bedrooms? Or do you not think that's coming? I'm skeptical about that. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we'll see voting on our phones anytime soon. Again, I think we've really come a long way from where we were with lever machines and punch card machines. And even some of the early electronic voting machines where there wasn't a way to back things up. As much as paper might seem old-fashioned, we know that it works pretty well. And so I think those sorts of concerns are going to outweigh interest in having you know, the ability to vote by phone. Last thing, the organization or the school you're part of, part of its title is Civic Engagement. Do you have any concern that what we've seen over the past week with the controversy over this election, mostly fomented by President Trump, will in the long term decrease civic engagement because there's going to be a large group of people who say, you know what, election was stolen, my vote doesn't matter, why vote? I'm absolutely concerned that we can see a decline in civic engagement based on the rhetoric that we're hearing. It's a bad strategy in terms of getting people out to vote, especially when we have a runoff election in Georgia coming up. And then, you know, more importantly, it's, it's just bad for democracy. There's no evidence to suggest that there were major problems with this system. We have to have trust in our system. We have to have trust in our election officials. Mistakes are going to happen. No system is perfect, but by and large, they've proven over time that their faithful public servants were interested in making sure that the people who are eligible get a chance to vote and that their votes counted accurately. Professor Mike Hanmer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a new executive order from President Trump, which would ban American companies and citizens from owning shares in any one of 31 Chinese companies that the U.S. Defense Department says help enable the Chinese military. Why it matters is these aren't just small Beijing-based mom-and-pop shops. Some of them trade on U.S. exchanges and are held by large U.S. mutual funds. Top Trump trade advisor Peter Navarro tells Axios, quote, it establishes the principle that American capital shall not fund Chinese militarization, end quote. President-elect Biden, for his part, hasn't yet commented on the order and theoretically could undo it before it actually takes effect. Today, we are also watching DoorDash, which filed for an IPO that's set to price between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The big headline here is that the meal delivery app turned a profit in the second quarter before returning to the red in Q3. Two takeaways. First, DoorDash seems to be a much healthier business than our rivals like Uber Eats, although part of that could be based on geography since DoorDash is only in the US and Canada. Two. There's still more noise than signal in DoorDash's numbers because of the stay-at-home pandemic spike. That's not a knock on DoorDash, just a realization that its 2020 data, for good and for bad, was anomalous. And finally today, The Gap says that its khaki sales nearly doubled over the past week, 
not because it brought back those old swing dancing ads, but because of MSNBC's magic wall master and weirdly new cult icon, Steve Kornacki. Apparently, the sales spike began after New York Magazine reported Kornacki was wearing Palomino Brown Gap khakis on the air. Gotta wonder if there'll be a bidding war to dress Steve in four years from now. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven. Tomorrow, have a great National Pickle Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.